Hello, Career Cohort. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Wong, founder of Words of Distinction. We talk about tools for achieving career success, inspirational stories about overcoming career and life challenges, and how we can recalibrate our perspective to better enjoy the journey forward. My guest today is Erin Thomas. Erin is a career and executive coach helping high-achieving leaders land their ideal jobs and maximize their peak earning years by leveraging their unique strengths and skills and amplifying their performance and influence. Erin is a former HR exec, which in my opinion, gives her valuable insights into the hearts and minds of hiring managers. She's been named top career coach twice, as well as a 50 under 50 change maker. Erin is a social justice advocate and ally and leadership expert. So hello, Erin. It's so nice to have you today. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to to talk about your topic today, and I understand we're going to talk about how we should be breaking this myth of you can only have one or the other. Either you have an amazing job that's your dream job or a job where you're making the salary you're dreaming about. And I wanted to kind of start with asking you a little bit about your own career, because I understand there's a correlation between that and what you're doing now. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to share. So I'm on a mission to help people move into jobs that they love and make more money. And it's a twofold mission here. When I was young, I had a very well-intended family member tell me that I needed to pick either uh, a feel-good career, a job that made me feel good, um, or a job or career that made me really good money, and that it was a clear decision point and I needed to pick. And I remember, I remember having this conversation with him thinking, wait, this just like intuitively doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Why should we have to pick? And honestly, ever since then, I've been on a mission to debunk this very real belief that most people I work with, the, the hundreds and hundreds of people I've, I've coached um, over the years, hold this belief that either they, they find work that they love, they find a job that gives them you know, satisfaction and motivation and maybe even some purpose, or they, they have to focus on money and, and therefore they can't have this other thing. So I call BS on this. And, you know, I've seen over the past 20 plus years of coaching people in and out of the workplace that indeed they can have both. And, and I have experienced this with myself. And, you know, this isn't relegated to a small percentage of folks, but rather anyone can have a career that they absolutely love, that gives them satisfaction, that motivates them, that engages them, and they can make the money that they want. I find it intriguing that you were able to call that call that BS. And how old were you when you said that? Yeah, I was I was in early high school. Wow. Yeah, I grew up in a a very old family business and so we had a family meeting and it was all of the grandkids or of the kids in my generation there was um how many of us? Oh gosh, 19 I think and are again very well intended, very successful, very financially successful family member um, had this conversation with us. 
That's so funny. A family meeting <laughs> and 19 kids. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a different generation. You know, we all have these notions. And I'm, I'm certainly, I'm sure if anybody had told me when I was in ninth grade that uh, this is the way it's going to be, I would have said, okay, <laughs> so good on you. <laughs> Well, and I'll just, I'll add another dimension to this. I also worked in the social impact sector for a good 15 plus years, um, specifically in nonprofits and and then in the latter years in foundations. And being in nonprofits, I was also given this message implicitly over and over and over again that you're here because you're mission aligned, because you believe that, you know, the mission that you're, that we are working on is compelling and and needs your time and investment, but we don't have X amount of dollars to pay you, so you need to pick. And I called BS on that too. The whole time I was in nonprofits, I called BS on that and I tried to challenge leadership to think a little bit differently about this concept, of course, as it relates to their bottom line. Of course, they can't pay you if they don't have money, but I would believe that most actually do have money. It's really about how we're prioritizing that money or how we're thinking about business models. That's another episode altogether. Well, uh, yeah, that would be a great topic for a future conversation. But that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you, because I could imagine somebody listening to this and scratching their head and saying, wait a minute, you know, what if I want to go join the Peace Corps or some other nonprofit where they're not known for their high salaries? But you're saying that you actually can achieve you know, even if you're in, in nonprofit, you're you're saying that you can achieve that salary that you're hoping for as well. Well, I think first you have to be really clear on what the salary is, like what your bottom line is. And I would say from my experience, a lot of people are not yet. When I ask people that I'm talking to, how much money do you want to make? What is the salary that you would come home feeling really proud of, right? Because sometimes that question of, well, what do you want to make? It's so loaded. Well, I don't know. What's possible? What's out there? So rather the question, what salary would make you really proud? And um, so that's the first thing, right? Getting really clear on, well, what is that for you? And then getting really clear on, well, what do you do best? What is your value proposition? What are your strengths, right? What's most important to you? And it's, and it's kind of the amalgamation of all of these things that come into play when figuring out, is this nonprofit going to actually pay me what I need and give me what I need so that my strengths are being amplified, so that I am values aligned and we're all working you know, towards the same direction. So it's not a clear answer of yes or no. It's more, it starts with you in terms of how are you designing this next chapter? And if it's around mission-focused work, then I would say, yeah, you need to find or, or let's go find that mission-driven work that's still going to pay you that much. Now, there's plenty of nonprofits that are going to say, no way, we can't pay you that much. And then you have a decision point, whether that's to, to make a trade-off um, or go find the nonprofit that will pay you that much or close to it or will, you know, give you a commensurate benefit or something like that. So not all nonprofits are created equal. There are many nonprofits that are really challenging this notion of, oh, we're a nonprofit. We can't pay, you know, top talent competitively. 
And I think what leaders in the sector are really seeing is like, we have to redesign our business models so that we can keep top talent in these jobs because it's just not a, it's not an option anymore to just to lose people because they can't pay them $20,000 more or, you know, $10,000 more or $30,000 more dollars. Yeah. So you were talking about considering your, your value proposition and how you're going to sell yourself. What are some other ways if somebody is deciding, okay, I'm in this situation right now, I have a job and now I'm going to transition. I'm going to go search for that job where I can make the salary I want. And I'm going to find that even if it's a mission driven job, what are some other steps they can take? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I'll say, I'll answer that specifically. There's kind of five steps that I would, that I would recommend people consider. And even sort of prefacing that, you know, we, we tend to complicate this issue, especially if we're not happy in our jobs, especially if we're, you know, struggling to make the money we want or struggling to figure out, well, what is that job? Is there ever going to be a job that satisfies me? Is there ever going to be a job that I actually can truly in my heart of hearts say I love? We complicate this, right? Because it's grounded in deep emotion. So of course it's complicated. And I believe that if we can simplify it a little bit for ourselves, it just makes it a little bit easier. So I would just preface it with that we want to simplify um, this process so that it's a little bit easier and less emotional. So it was interesting that you take the emotion out. So go ahead with your five steps. I want to hear this. Yeah, because the emotion's going to be there. So we have to, I'm, I'm not saying ignore the emotion at all, because if we ignore the emotion, then the emotion just gets louder and more dominant. So, so we definitely acknowledge the emotion and we can train ourselves within, I think, the process to simplify it because it, because it is actually a simple formula while it's not easy because these simple uh, factors that I'm going to describe are grounded in, in emotion. So it's simplistic while not being easy, of course. Um, so, okay, so the first step is truly understanding your unique value proposition. So I can't tell you how many people I talk to every single day um, around the country, sometimes around the world, when I ask this question, well, what is your value proposition or what, or in other words, right, because that's a little bit jargony, I realize, in other words, what do you have that companies need? And I get a deer in headlights sort of response. Oh, I don't know. Well, this or that. And, and it's clear that this hasn't been thought through. So, so really clarifying and thinking through, well, what is your unique value proposition? So I'll, I'll dive in a little bit more to explain this, how to do this. And I'll ground it with the context that there are, as of like a week or two ago, I think, maybe, maybe you know the exact date, um, we reached 8 billion people in, in the world, which is, right, I can't even, I don't even know what that means. I mean, it's just so many, so many humans. But my point is, is that, uh, you know, within this 8 billion population, there's one of you, truly. There's only one of you. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people with similar strengths or similar skills or similar affinities, similar cultures, um, similar interests, right? Of course there are, but there's only one you. There's only one of you that has the perfect blend of assets or the perfect amalgamation of your values, of your strengths, of the ways in which you're motivated, 
of your interests, your skills, and, and so many other things, right? It's the blend of all of these amazing assets that make you you and that we can find your clear value proposition in. So values, what is most important to you? And how does that play out in the workplace? Strengths, what do you do best? What are your superpowers? Not your skills necessarily at this point, because skills just tell us what you've learned how to do and that you're a quick study and that you know how to adapt to your environment. So therefore you've learned how to do something and you've done it enough times that you've built a skill out of it, which is important, of course. But even more important is the strength, is what's underneath those skills, what is sort of the orientation in which you either absorb information or process or synthesize information or build relationships or influence others or execute work on the ground. So what do you do best? And then motivations, how are you motivated um, intrinsically and extrinsically? And of course, intrinsically are, are the ways in which we are motivated that come from within us. And this can be seen in our day-to-day behaviors. So the ways in which we are motivated to behave on a very tactical and day-to-day level. And then, of course, our extrinsics, which are ways in which we are motivated that come from outside of ourselves. And this, of course, is our salary, our benefits, you know, the investments that our companies are making in us, etc. And then all the other things like of course, special interests or special skills that you really enjoy doing or that that give you a lot of joy or give you a lot of energy when doing. So it's when we can clarify all these sorts of buckets of data, so to speak, and then overlay them on top of each other, we can start to really see your unique value proposition, how you uniquely are able to either solve the pain points that the companies you're going after are trying to solve or the job functions are trying to solve, or how you can um, really advance the goals of these companies or the goals of these, these job functions. So that's step number one, understanding your unique value proposition. Step number two is craft your professional story, your story, your brand. So branding is so, so, so important, especially in this hot and, and sort of <laughs> sort of wild labor market that we've been in in the last few years. Having a really compelling story and brand is just essential, right? And, and I often tell my clients, it's almost like spoon feeding your story to relevant people, right? To, um, to companies, to hiring managers, to folks in your network so that it is super clear who you are what your achievements have been thus far, what your accomplishments that you're most proud of are, um, what you do best, and what you want to do more of moving forward. And it's really, it's, it's going to be a different exercise based on if you're looking to pivot outside your, your sector or if you're going to stay inside your sector, of course. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the thing that's so key to resumes, whether it's your LinkedIn profile or your resume, your cover letter what we have to remember is what's relevant to our audience. And obviously we want to know what our personal brand is or our value proposition. That has to be really, really steady. And then we're not going to, you know, we're not going to change our values just for for a particular role, but we do need to make sure that if we're talking about our skills 
leading, you know, major systems transformations that has to be relevant to what that company's looking for, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Just have a really sturdy foundational story and brand. Because, you know, just like the world's best brands, the Nikes, the Coca-Colas, the Starbucks, right? They are equal parts authentic and aspirational. So so these brands can actually point you, like when you have a really good brand, it can actually point you to the people that you should be telling your brand to, the people who are already where you want to go. So a brand is, it's an articulation of story and it's also almost a visioning tool because it's going to point you to who you should be talking to, who are aligned with your brand. And in doing so, yes, you absolutely have to tailor everything you do when you're networking and and make it really relevant and when you're interviewing and building your resume, et cetera. And if your brand is clear enough, you theoretically should be attracting people who want more of that brand. So your tailoring becomes a little bit a little bit lighter. So this is like a total frame change. You know, what I was taught when I was in high school and college and, and, and when I was a young adult was just figure out what you want to do, Aaron, and then go build skills and just figure, just do it. Just get good at it, right? But, but I don't think that works. I think, th- I think this message is why, or one of the reasons why the vast majority of workers in the United States are deeply dissatisfied, says numerous, numerous polls. And, and I think the frame change is, well, let's get clear on who we are and what our brand is. And then let's, let's shout it really, really loud. Let's amplify it so that people who are already there start to hear us. And then um, we start to get into conversations with people who are actually aligned with our brand and, and with our value proposition. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I mean, this is the way um, I come in after your coaching is done, right? I'm the one who's working with a resume. But a lot of times I do have clients who are, they don't know what their specific superpowers are or their special sauce is. So we we can kind of narrow in on that. But I totally agree that it's really, really important to know who you are. Because if you don't, you're just going in and you're just becoming another cog. I mean, you're just going in, you're checking in and you're checking out with your list of things to do or your projects to do. So I think you bring up a really good point there. So we talked about value proposition. We talked about intrinsic values. We talked about branding. We talked about being relevant to the, to the company and, and what they need for the role. What else? So the next step would be building your vision. So, you know, this is getting really clear on, well, you know, based on what those values are and what you do best and how you're motivated, how much money you you want and need to be making and and the ways in which you need to be behaving on a day-to-day basis to feel most satisfied. Now it's time to build the vision of, okay, so what are those companies? Are they nonprofits? Are they foundations? Are they corporate uh, entities? You know, what are these companies? What are the functions that are going to get the absolute best out of you? You know, we oftentimes, I think people will kind of be in a career transition and just start looking at jobs, 
which is great. Like in a sense, that's kind of prototyping, right? You're just, you're testing the market to see, well, what's out there that's, that's interesting to me or that, that feels energizing. Um, and that can get really, really exhausting and we can burn out pretty, pretty quickly if we do that haphazardly. So building out a vision with an action plan is, um, is just a strategic way to ensure that you're really targeting the right companies, the right organizations, as well as the right functions that do align with your brand so that you can trust these positions really are going to pay you what you need as well as get the best out of you. What I'm hearing you also say is that it's okay to experiment, like try something, but it's with intention, right? For sure. For sure. You know, it's not uncommon for job seekers to um, take six months to find that right job, maybe sometimes more, sometimes less, of course. But it's not, you know, a six month job search is not uncommon. And so that means you have to use your emotional, your intellectual, and of course, your physical energy really strategically and wisely. You have a finite amount of energy to adapt to the ever challenges that are going to present in a job search or a career transition. So being really strategic about how you're using that energy is just, it's critical. And yes, experimentation is huge at taking action um, that is aligned with your vision. That's the key here. That's how you know it's strategic. Is your action aligned with your vision and sort of having that laser focus? The next step is just what you were suggesting, Emily, is polishing up your 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 assets, right? Having a resume that just sings, that really serves, serves up your brand, serves up your value prop, serves up your translatable skills um, tailored to the reader so that it's just a no-brainer. And a common way to see if your resume is really working as it should is a common benchmark that we see, an application to interview benchmark, which states that about 30%-ish, plus or minus, 30% means your resume is behaving well in the marketplace. Of course, give or take the industry that you're in and the time of year or the economy, bigger, bigger things at play. Meaning for every 10 resumes you put out there, assuming they are aligned positions, a well-received resume should theoretically get, you know, two to three uh, invitations for interviews. That's a good rate. So out of the 10 resumes that they send out, two to three responses is a good response rate. And are you talking about, because I discourage clients from just going off and just shooting them out to Indeed. I'm very focused on Find those roles that are really meaningful to you as, you know, kind of the way we're talking about this right now. And so going through those channels, finding people who work there. And so they might be sending it through Indeed, but at the same time, they're also sending it through someone they know or someone who knows someone they know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. It has to be very targeted, very strategic application. And that also includes networking. So if my clients come back to me and say, Aaron, I've applied to 50 jobs and I'm out about a 10% um, application to interview rate, that's considered fair. It's, it's 
less than 10%, I would consider poor. Again, these, this is plus or minus depending on the specific industry and, and things that are happening in the world. But I would say, okay, that means we need to do three things. Either number one, go back to your resume and take another stab at it to really get it more translated or more specifically focused on outcomes, you know, dot, 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 lots of different strategies there. Number two, we need to focus on networking more and, and get your resume out to people via networking. Three, um, let's make sure that the jobs you're applying to are actually aligned with your value proposition and with your resume. Sure, maybe some of that has to do with tailoring, but maybe some of that has to do with like, yeah, these are all stretch roles, right? Or these are all um, skip levels or yeah, you really are pivoting into a, a very different role. So Let's use that to then determine our next actions. So the reason why I like to take kind of like a data-informed approach to resumes is because, you know, people can send out hundreds and hundreds of resumes and hear back from a couple and or, or hear back from a lot but not get the offer and they just feel like an absolute failure, right? And they're using all of this energy and so they're burning out. And so if we take this data-informed approach with these benchmarks we can be sure that your actions are specifically focused on what the data is telling us in terms of what to focus on either in your resume or with your networking or the types of jobs you're applying to, et cetera. Right. And just on that note of, you know, sending them out using a, a lot of energy and just sending them out online, we have this feeling in our culture that if we're checking off a to-do list, and in this case, resumes, and we're saying, oh, I sent this out. I sent out 25 resumes today. Now I'm going to call it a day. But that energy is not used wisely. I totally agree with you on this, Aaron. So the network is so, so important. And I've had so many conversations with others on this podcast about that. You know, and you can start with low hanging fruit. It could be someone in your family who knows somebody else. It could be someone who is on your kid's team. You know, just getting that word out there and letting people know. And also at that time, knowing what you're interested in. And I, I mean, I understand there are people who are exploring and they might, and it's okay to be honest to say, you know, I'm, I'm exploring this type of work. Do you know somebody I could talk to? That's okay too, earlier in that process. But since we're talking about now kind of getting really focused in, uh, once you know what your brand is and what it is you're excited about, when you're talking to people, you're just going to be that much more excited and they're going to pick up on that energy, don't you think? Oh, that's right. Absolutely. There's a lot of missed opportunities, I think, in networking conversations, either because, you know, the person who is is reaching out for the networking isn't clear on what they want, right? They just, they want to, you know, kind of explore, but they're not super clear on what you want. And don't get me wrong, you don't need to know exactly the job you want to know who you are, what you do best, and what you want to do more of because that's your brand. You do not need to know what job or what company you want to work with or what type of company you want to work with to be able to, to know and be able to convey and articulate really clearly 
a very compelling networking and generative conversation. But I think the missed opportunity comes from when people feel like they can't talk about themselves because they don't know the job. And so therefore, the the person that they're networking with walks away really unclear of how to help this person. Exactly. Right. I had this experience the other day where somebody was was networking with me and and I, I kind of went into coaching mode with her because I was trying to pull out, you know, <laughs> well, let's get clear. Like, what is it that how can I help you? Because I don't know unless you tell me. And so so I think that that's really important in the networking process. And I do think that there are lots of different types of networking depending on the stage of, of job search you're in. And so like what you're suggesting is informational interviews. That's those are really, really powerful, especially when, you know, pivoting uh, sectors or or functions. And so then being clear to yourself, okay, I'm in the informational interviewing stage. And then when it comes time, uh, when you're done with that and you've made your decision on what pathway you want to move, then telling yourself, okay, I'm moving into sort of conveying my clear value proposition as it pertains to these companies and their pain points and their goals. This is the type of networking I'm doing now. So, so I think that can help kind of simplify the process too. And you raise that really good point. Having that self-clarity is then going to translate into your conversations with others. Uh, Even if your clarity is not yet, you know, what the company is or what the job is, you're clear on what questions you need to ask. I think generally people want to help, but you want to make their job easier to help you by having that clarity, which is a really good point. One more thing that I wanted to talk about, Erin, is I know you're offering a, a career upgrade boot camp in January. I'd love to know about this. Yes, yes. This is um, one of my signature programs, and the next one is starting in January, and it's a 12-week program really intended for people who have you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years experience behind them, meaning they, they're not new in career. They really have a solid foundation of career in back of them, and they're wanting something different and not sure what. Wanting either more money but not sure how to make that more money while still being in a career that they love, or wanting to even consider a pivot but not sure how to evaluate that or how to know you know, is a pivot going to give me what I'm looking for? So it's really intended for for folks who are in that stage. And like I said, it's 12 weeks and we go through much of which I've just described. We do discovery in terms of getting clear on that value proposition. The participants build out their brand, their very clear brand narrative. Participants get a full makeover on their resume and a full LinkedIn optimization, both of which incorporates their brand elements as well as lots of other things. And then participants build out a bigger career and life vision. And the reason why I always include life with career visioning is because most of the clients I work with are at the stage of life that they they need a career that is going to accommodate their life. They they're they're not just focused on career, but they're really focused on designing a life that that works really well for them. So of course, career is one consideration of that. And then finally, we do um, what I would consider is probably maybe if not the number one, one of the key key challenges that most 
folks face when trying to gain clarity about how to find a job that I love, how to move into this next career chapter, as well as make maybe better money than I've ever made before, which is head trash, <laughs> which is, right, all the, all the stories we tell ourselves, all the assumptions we make, the conscious or subconscious beliefs we, we hold about certain things. So we have to address those if they're there and present and upgrade them, just like we have to upgrade our, you know, iPhone operating system every time we download a new app to make sure that that app is functioning really properly. It's the same with our brains. When we want a new outcome, we have to upgrade our operating system. So those are the things that we do in the boot camp. The next one starts Jan 16th. Um, it's a small group format, so it sells out quickly, and I'm super excited for it. Well, I love that you're going to help people get rid of their head trash, too. <laughs> That's, <laughs> we all could work on that, right? That's right. That's right. So then do you want to talk a little bit about how people can reach you as well? And, and it will be in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you can visit my website, careerupgradecoaching.com. And if you're interested, feel free to click the button to schedule a free career consultation. We'll hop on a no obligation phone call. You can tell me a little bit about, you know, your situation, your career thus far, and then I'll build you a roadmap specifically focused on your goals. So feel free to do that. And then I'm also on the socials, specifically LinkedIn and, and Instagram. And you can find me there at Aaron Thomas Career Coach. Okay, Aaron, was there one last tidbit you wanted to share? Yeah, I would say if you're unhappy in your job, if you feel like you're not being valued or acknowledged for your uh, contributions, or maybe you're being underutilized for your strengths, or maybe you don't even know what your strengths are anymore. If you feel like you're getting overlooked consistently for a promotion, or you're just in a moment where you know something else is there for you, but you're just not sure what that is. I would say if you're feeling any of these things, you don't have to feel this way. All of these things are fixable. They are 100% fixable, even though they don't feel like it. And I know I've been there. I totally understand that these feel like massive, massive things that really aren't fixable, but they are. And I say that with a lot of conviction and confidence because of the hundreds and hundreds of people I've coached over the years, many of them come into our coaching engagement with feelings like this. And we do work together and, and they, they solve them. So I would say if this is you, commit today to solving these challenges and figure out where it is you're getting stuck and um, what it is you need. And I'm here for you every step of the way if you need support. Well, that's a great note to end on. And I think it's really exciting to look forward to your workshop in January because that's when a lot of people like to hit that refresh button. So thank you so much for joining me today, Erin. And, and I hope you'll come back. Thank you, Emily. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Cohort. I'm Emily Wong. You can find all my podcasts and blog posts at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you'd like to chat about how I can help you define the next step in your career and achieve your goals, head on over to the same website and book a time on my calendar for a free consult. 
In the meantime, please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great content.